listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Welcome to episode 77. Hey, it's 77. the lucky episode. Why is it why is it the lucky episode? Because seven is a lucky number. Oh. Well, seven's my lucky number. Oh. So this and is like double your lucky number. Yeah. Yeah. Or Two. 77, which isn't my lucky number at all. <laughs> so se- seven is your lucky number, but 77 is not your lucky number? Or double it. Oh. What would seven squared be? 49. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Third base. <laughs> Welcome to episode 77. Guess what we did on the break. You'll never guess because this isn't. this is a podcast, so we can't call and response here. But we... <laughs> If you were on our Instagram, would have seen that we went to the D&D movie. Oh, yeah. It was great. I had a lot of fun. Now, I have not been to a movie in a very long time, so it was in the theater. especially <laughs> wonderful to go and sit in the theater, except for this whole weird movie forward thing they did. Oh, yeah. They had this weird thing right at the beginning of it where all the actors from the movie, um, basically, it was just like a shot of them talking to the camera. And them saying, like, you're the real heroes because you're going to see a movie in the movie theater. The way it's meant to be. It was like a weird circle jerk thing. It, it was very, it, it made me uncomfortable, for yeah. sure. It had the opposite effect. Because, like, what they were trying to be like, hey, you're supposed to be watching it this way. Good on you. But it made me go, like, ugh, I could have been at home. and Yeah, and not getting this message. Yeah, and <laughs> not paying. Oh, my gosh. It was over 20 bucks for two regular sized sodas and one box of candy yeah that was it over 20 bucks yeah it's it's expensive theaters are expensive yeah but the movie was fantastic there were a lot of really good little inside easter eggs they did (laughs) some good fan service um not going to give any spoilers but i did there was a certain moment where they started explaining a trap which was really good meta hilariousness yeah yeah i thought i thought it did a great job skirting the line of making it fun without making it too in the in the meta of of what yeah. this is you know uh i felt like if you didn't understand anything about dungeons and dragons you could still enjoy this movie and and you'd still have a fun time with it yeah absolutely and there was more to dive into like i only found out today about uh there is a dragon in the movie I guess that's your spoiler. There's a dragon in the movie Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and and a dungeon. What I would say ridiculous. I would say there probably was a dungeon in there. And uh, that dragon actually has a bigger backstory than I knew, so I got to dive into that, which was really fun. That's pretty fun. It definitely made me feel like I want to go play some D and D after watching. Like like it it instilled in me the fun of that experience. Which well, I think is a real win. Plus, you get to go with some of your best friends, and Adam Davis sat in front of you, and you guys high fived like the whole movie. Anytime there was a reference to like the game of Dungeons and Dragons or something in that world, we were high fived. Yeah, they so. were like Gelatinous Cube. Yeah, and oh look, uh, Drow, yeah. and what was another one? Uh, I don't remember specifically. There were a lot of them. <laughs> but we actually have some people who want to know some things that we know about D anD. d How is that possible? That's the whole concept. Oh, of the right. Podcast. That's what we're doing. Yep, actually, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> so our first question for next session help comes to us from Koi eight thousand and eight. Or boy, that's a lot of koi. Or koi boob, oh. if you speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think koi have boobs. 
I we can't go into it. It's a family friendly podcast. Yeah, that's possible. Although I already said circle jerk earlier. Maybe yeah. I should rate this as explicit. <laughs> What's the line? Yeah, I don't know. Koi boob, I think, might be the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't on our sexy episode. There you go. So, uh, Koi8008 says, uninterested character problem. So, yesterday was the session where all, the bombshell, all planes are threatened. And this is um, planes as in planes of existence, not um, airplanes. It took me a while. Although, potentially, could also be like a big plot point. Yes. If you're, <laughs> airplanes if you're, could be threatened at the same time. If your right? setting is that. Yeah. Uh, yes. So yesterday was the session where the bombshell, all planes are threatened, was dropped. But the whole time, the wizard of the group just said, nah, it's fine. I don't really care. And disregarded the whole thing multiple times, even after the druid restated multiple times that nowhere is safe. The wizard then said, I can just go to another plane. There's always somewhere else to go. And my god doesn't bend to this reality's rules. <laughs> he never said anything about his god. I didn't even know his character was religious. And also, he doesn't get to decide what rules his god follows in my universe. He doesn't have a personal stake in the situation, which is not the problem. The problem is, even when his own life is threatened, he still doesn't care. Any suggestions to get him to care? It is very difficult to DM when both the character and player are indifferent. Do you have any experience with this? I have lots of experience with this. Do you have any like like teenage clients? Yeah, who, like, who sometimes don't care. Don't care. <laughs> yeah. Um. Honestly, this is one where I suspect that the character would care. I think that that you know, Koi Koi eight thousand and eight. You've done an amazing job setting up a disaster of of tremendous proportions in which. All characters would need to care if they have any level of self-preservation whatsoever. And so the character probably does need to care about it. And and as you stated, all all planes are threatened. And therefore, you know, going to another plane isn't an option. That doesn't escape you from the danger of this. Um, my guess is, is that this is much more a problem of the player not caring. Or, or even, based on your description, very potentially the player really having something going on for them that day. Yeah. Um, and and to know more, I, I might need to, you know, actually have Koi on to to ask some questions. But Or that player. Or that player. Because to me, you're right. This is not an in-game character problem. This is an out-of-game yeah. person problem, player problem. Um, in, in my experience in my groups, when I see this kind of thing happen, what I'm seeing is there's stuff going on in that player's life that maybe is making it difficult for them to like sit and have a fun time with this game. And that's understandable. We have lots of stuff that goes on in our lives. And sometimes you're sitting down at a game, even a game that you're, that you're playing for a lot of fun with your friends and you just don't have the positivity or the energy to throw into, yeah. you know, being excited or being engaged in that process, or you're having, you know, other stuff, other frustrations or other things in your life that are getting in the way of you being able to sort of let go of those things or step away from those things for this time while you're playing the game. And it's okay that that kind of thing happens. Honestly, sometimes, you know, you, you sit down as a group to play your weekly D&D game and you're just not feeling it this week. Uh, and it's okay sometimes to, as a player or as a game master, to kind of turn to your group and say, hey, hey, everyone, I don't think I can play D&D this week, but I still want to spend time with all of you. Is there? Could we play a different game? Can we just hang out and just talk? Um, those things would be really helpful or really valuable to me. And as the game master running this kind of game, when you have a player who's who, who 
clearly is bringing some other stuff in. Um, one option, if you are good friends and you have, know each other well, is to pause the game and say, hey, is there something going on? Because you seem like you're, you're you know, a little unhappy or, or it seems like that's kind of coming out in your character. Is there something going on for you? Um, we can take a break. You know, we don't we don't need to be jumping into all of this if you need a little a little time or if we can be supportive as your friends to help you through something that might be difficult that's going on. And if they say, no, why? And you can say, well, I kind of just laid out for you in the game that, that everything is being threatened and there's this huge disaster and you're sort of reacting to it nonplussed or yeah. <laughs> or, or, or yeah. without caring. And, and I'm, I'm not sure why your character would react that way. So in Guardian, this reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy, where um, they say, what has the galaxy ever done for you? Why would you right. want to save it? And he goes, because I'm one of the idiots that lives in it. Yeah. Um, so the destruction of the entire multiverse should be motivation enough to be trying and saving it. And if they can't get to a point where they can even bother to care about that, then... Uh, you know, out of self-preservation, if for nothing else, then they might just not be there for it and might need to, I don't know, play a different character for a little bit, maybe find a character that does care. So that was actually going to be my, that's, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. That was actually going to be my next suggestion here, which is if either you don't have the kind of personal relationship where you can like pause the game and check in personally with this with this friend, which not every relationship is is close like that where you can have those kinds of conversations. Um, and you have a player who's kind of reacting this way, I would always pause and say, what's going on for your character right now? In a, in a truly interested way, because I would want to know, your, this wizard legitimately does not care that every aspect of all universes is going to be destroyed. Um, like... What a strange reaction to that. Uh, and I would want to pause the game and be like, what is going on with your character? They, don't re they really don't care that literally all existence and everything is going to be destroyed? Um, and no matter what their reaction to that, either the, the reaction is like, well, no, they care about that. And be like, oh, okay, they're trying to save face. Um, and this is a place that, that I, there's a thing I do as a game master where I guess at something that's going on for a character with a high willingness to be wrong. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make the player either accept or deny my offer. And this is an important thing when you have players that are refusing to make choices for things, especially for how their character might react to something. Because the denial of your offer, of whatever it is that you're suggesting for them, is still a choice. But you're now forcing them to have to make a choice about who their character is. So when I have a, a wizard that's saying, you know, I don't care, and I go, wow, that's amazing. You really don't care about the entire, of anything in existence, including yourself. Now they have to make a choice. They either have to say, yes, I really don't care about anything in existence, including myself. Or they have to say, well, no, I do care about these things. And, I've, and, and that's when you can ask more follow-up questions and be like, oh, you do care about your cat. That's interesting. So you don't care about anything in existence, including yourself, but you care about your cat. This is like, well, this isn't reverse psychology, but it's like tangent psychology. Yeah, it is. It is. And it works amazingly well as a trick to get people to sort of make real decisions about who their character is and what they, what they actually, what the player wants their character to be. Because sometimes the reaction in the moment is not the thing they actually want for their character. And you need to get them to, to pause and really think about their reaction in that moment so that you can get a better understanding for it. And and if they do say, I really don't care about anything, 
sometimes the follow-up question to that is something like, wow, tell me more about why your character really doesn't care about anything. What's their backstory that would cause them to be the kind of character that, that really cares about nothing, including self-preservation? Um, and now you're, once again, making them make choices about their character, about who this character is. And through that, they now have to create justification for their choices. Um, so being able to have that like pause in the moment and have that conversation with a character. And you would think that that kind of thing disrupts the game a little bit. My experience is that's absolutely not true. Because when you have a character react this way that's so contrary to to everybody's expectations or to the goals of the group as a whole, all the other players want to know what's going on too. Mm-hmm. It's an, it, I mean, it does seem like a cry for attention and that's you're kind of rewarding that cry for attention. But I agree with you that I think that that is actually what the situation needs is to, yeah, let's give them a little bit of attention. Like they, they want to be this character that's so apathetic about mm-hmm. everything that's happening. Like, yeah, I think it might be worth the 10 minute conversation to be like, what's going on? And it might not even be that long. It may honestly be just a couple of questions and they may change their tune very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, as an aside to that, to, to your point that you had said, um, if ultimately in those questions you get to this character really doesn't care about anything or believes that their god is going to save them or whatever um well specifically if they get to a point where they've described a character that couldn't possibly exist with this group Um, my character doesn't care about any of the other members of the group my character has no interest in helping to achieve this goal that all the other members of the group do want to achieve that is a place where it's okay to also clarify to the player that the point of this game is to be a group of adventurers who are off doing an adventure. Now, the very foundation of the game of Dungeons & Dragons, which I feel like often is not well explained to players, is the expectation is all of you are adventurers. So by by that very fact, you're not going to be like a farmer uh, who is only interested in farming and has no interest in their adventuring aspect of this game. Um, and And that all of you are working on a team. You're all on a team together. And that very fact is going to exclude anybody who is wholly uninterested in being on a team. I mean, all of this needs to be explained in session zero for sure. It does. And often it is not. And so I, I, um, I don't, I, it doesn't bother me necessarily if that is not explained to players ahead of time. If I say, Oh, let me clarify. I'm so glad you brought this up. Let me clarify to you that this is the expectation of what's going on. If your character can't meet that expectation, then our expectation is you will make a new character. And this character that you created can still exist in the world. It can still be out there. Maybe we'll, we'll encounter them again, and you can play them again at that time, or maybe I'll play it as an NPC who turns into a bad guy. But part of the expectation of our game requires that you, you, your character that you make fulfill some of these things. And I'll go even further and say I will make further expectations for characters in my games. For instance, when I'm playing a good campaign, I expect all my players' characters to be good. Um, it is possible to make evil characters. Sometimes I play an evil campaign. But when I'm playing a campaign where the expectation is all the characters are trying to add or do good to the world, then my expectation is that your character is not evil. Um, and that's an okay expectation to, to kind of add in. That's the part of the, the gameplay setup that we all have for the world and the kind of game that we're envisioning. So it's okay to turn to the player and say, it kind of sounds like your character does not want to be on this adventure. And 
does not care about anything that is happening here, but all the other player characters are going to go on the adventure. So you right. either have to decide why your character is going along with this adventure, even though they don't care and they don't want to be there, or in, in which case you can make up a reason. Maybe you need the players for, you need the other characters for, to fulfill your own needs, which is okay. That's a fine reason. Or you need to make a new character who does care about those things yeah. and does actually want to be here on this adventure with these other characters. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree. I think summing that up, you you need two things. You have to want to work with others and answer the call to adventure. Yeah. Those are like the two main things your character needs to have. And if if you can't do that, then wizard character can go be with God in bomb shelter or whatever's happening. Yeah. And you can roll a new character. Yeah, maybe that NPC can show up later on, you know, yeah. <laughs> help help the party out or whatever. Um, I'll, I'll also say you can play Farming Simulator or whatever <laughs> whatever other game. I mean, the, the joy of RPGs is, like, it can really be whatever you want it to be. So we can play, like, a game where we're just trying to make our shop successful and we have to deal with advertising and, and we have to, we have to like, go and make deals with other shops and talk to the shop guild or whatever. Like you can have that game if that's your expectation of your game, in which case you don't need to all be adventurers. You, but then the expectation is you're all shopkeepers. <laughs> so whatever the setup is for the game, that's that's the expectation that you're trying to outline. And usually the setup, yes, is is exactly what you said, which is to answer the call of, of adventure and, and to work on a team. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, Koi Boob, I hope that helps. Yeah, and and be understanding. You know, your your players sometimes are going to do a bad job being players in your game, but there are sometimes lots of good reasons for that. Yeah. Hey, let's move right along into an Ask a GM question. Let's do it. Okay, so this Ask a GM question comes from underscore Zantam. Ah, underscore Zantam. Zantam. Zantamnin. Zantamnin. Like a phantom, but a xantum? It's a xantum. It's a ah. Ah, maybe well, that's what the underscore is. It's the missing f. Uh, <laughs> Fazantum. Um, they ask, can a familiar cast dragon's breath on itself? I think the answer is yes. However, I'm looking for confirmation. Three things to consider. Spells with a range of touch can be delivered through touching the target with the familiar. Dragon's Breath is a touch spell, which doesn't make sense to me, but there you go. <laughs> Casters can touch themselves to benefit from their touch spells. Conclusion, a familiar can touch itself to remotely deliver the effect of Dragon's Breath. Um, in parentheses, yes, familiars do not have spells themselves. However, spellcasters can deliver touch spells through their familiars by having a familiar touch the intended target. I'm talking about spellcaster applying dragon's breath from a distance to their familiar by having said familiar touch itself. Does this make sense to you, Adam? Okay, so from the concept of dragon's breath. So dragon's breath is a spell. It's a second level spell that's a casting time bonus action um, with a range of touch. And it has uh, it duration is concentration up to one minute. You touch a willing creature and imbue it with the power to spew magical energy from its mouth, provided it has one. Uh, Choose acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. Until the spell ends, the creature can use an action to exhale energy of the chosen type in a 15-foot cone. Each creature in that area must make a dexterity saving throw, taking 3d6 damage of the chosen type on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Um, I would say absolutely you can, you can use this spell with your familiar. 
The concept behind the familiars is you can cast any spell from the perspective of the familiar that you could cast um, from your own position. Um, so not only would I say that you can cast Dragon's Breath on yourself, which you can, which therefore means you can cast Dragon's Breath on your familiar, but I would further say... But you're not casting it on them. You're casting it from the familiar. From them, yeah. yeah. But, I, but I would say that the execution of the spell itself, of the Dragon's Breath coming out of you, is, is the spell. I mean, that is a, a spell effect. Now, I wouldn't say... I, I would probably rule in this case, if you cast Dragon's Breath on yourself, that you have to cast all the Dragon's Breaths out from you. Not that you can choose for, at that point which dragon's breath, dragon's breath comes from you or you're familiar. I think I think you have to make the choice when you cast the spell, not when you um, otherwise. But I would say that you could have your de familiar deliver the touch spell, which is sort of the intended point of having the familiar in the first place. So if you wanted to have the familiar touch someone else to deliver your dragon's breath instead of you touching them to deliver their dragons the dragon's breath, then you could do that. Really? Yeah, because that's part of what familiars can do is they can deliver touch spells without um, without you having to be the one to, to deliver it. But doesn't it have a range? Doesn't a familiar have to be within a certain amount of range from you? Uh, yes, I think so. So it's a weird range touch spell. When While your familiar is within 100 feet of you, you can communicate with it telepathically. Okay. Additionally, as an action, you can see through your familiar's eyes and hear what it hears until the start of your next turn. So gaining, 100 feet. Gaining any benefits it has. When you cast a spell with a range of touch, your familiar can deliver the spell as if you had cast the spell. Your familiar must be within 100 feet of you, and it must use its reaction to deliver the spell when you cast it. If the spell requires an attack roll, use your attack modifier for the roll. So the question here really is, are you allowed to target your familiar with a buff spell? And how, yeah. That's the ultimate question, because there's no question in the idea of whether or not the familiar can deliver touch spells. But wouldn't this be an initiative? I mean, it is a reaction, but there's an initiative. He, the familiar has its own initiative. That might be higher up than yours. Uh, yes. And it can't hold its reaction. It acts on its turn. Well, the way that the way it, uh, that's not how the spell Dragon's Breath works anyway. When when you give Dragon's Breath to to a creature, it's a concentration spell that you give to them, so they don't get to spew the Dragon's Breath right away. They they spew the Dragon's Breath on their turn. Okay, I'm st I guess I'm a little confused because it's a reaction. So so you cast Dragon's Breath, the familiar uses its reaction to deliver the spell to itself, right? And then on the familiar's next turn, it can use its action to activate the continued effect of that spell for as long as the spell lasts? The familiar does not need to use its... Oh, yeah. It must use its reaction to deliver the spell. Correct. Yes, yes, you have that right. Okay. So um, it's my turn. Uh, I'm the wizard. I cast a spell. It's a bonus action to cast this spell. It is a touch spell. And I have my familiar cast it on themselves. So they touch themselves. They touch themselves, which which you can do with touch spells. You can cast them on yourself, and familiars can deliver touch spells to any target, and familiar can be a target. So, so therefore... Me familiar. Me, you familiar. I, I touch my head. Yep. Now I have dragon's breath. Which you did as a reaction. But I didn't use dragon's breath. You haven't actually cast... You haven't... 
you cast the spell Dragon's Breath, but you haven't actually breathed the Dragon's Breath Because yet. it's not my turn. Right. That is a thing that you now get to do on your turn, so long as I continue to make concentration on that spell. Right. But you don't have to concentrate on the familiar, because familiar is its own thing. Well, the spell is still cast from me, and it uses my concentration to maintain it. Um, the familiar just delivers the spell. Okay, so as long as you're still concentrating on the familiar spell, not the dragon's breath spell. No, the, the familiar spell doesn't require concentration. The uh, dragon's the breath dragon's spell. The dragon's breath spell does. Yes. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's confuse all the listeners. Yeah. If everybody's tra- tracking all of this. <laughs> so so the answer is Xantum is absolutely your familiar can can deliver touch spells, therefore it can deliver, and it can be the target of touch spells, and therefore it can deliver a touch spell to itself, including a spell like Dragon's Breath, which it can then use on its turn. Please keep it above board, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I think about you, I cast Dragon's Breath. That's like the perfect... (laughs) We transitioned to a theme song right there. Yeah. I don't think we have the rights to be able to play that song. I don't but think we do. Think no. of it in your head yeah. as we go to a break. Hey. Hey, break time. Break time. Break time over. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. Well, I uh, we have another Ask a GM question, so I thought that's why we would break where we broke, and now we have... We broke. Broken? Oh, broken. Brek- Brekened? We had a, a proper breckening. <laughs> I know. I want some breakfast. Yep. Some brekkie. Yeah. Some delicious brekkie. I want a proper English breakfast. Okay. So brekkie is an Australian term. Yeah. What would a proper Australian breakfast be? Uh, probably mar- mar- Don't guess because we have Australian, <laughs> have Australian listeners Australian and they'll listeners. be mad at us. Well, they should they should tell us. Yes. They should email in or whatever whatever contact they want to use and let us know what in a proper Australian breakfast. Someone's really going to send us be. a picture of like cocoa puffs. <laughs> I was thinking it's that uh what is it called Mar- marmosite or something the the Oh, uh you're thinking of um We really need to go visit mar- Australia. Marmite Vegemite. Vegemite. Well, marmite is yeast. Oh, yeah, and Vegemite is without yeast. Yeah, marmite is a British food. I think Vegemite is the... Is the Australian one? Yeah. Vegemite. Vegemite is Australian, marmite is So I was thinking British. that, Both which I've never tried. Rich yeast spreads and used I've on heard toast is, and crackers. is uh, an acquired taste, but I'd be excited to try it. The traditional Australian breakfast is very similar, surprisingly, uh, unsurprisingly, to a traditional British or American breakfast. There you go. There you go. I have had a traditional British breakfast, and I, it is delicious. It is so good. Yeah. Okay. But we have an Ask a GM question. So this one is from Mesa Likes. Me- Mesa Likes. Mesa Likes. I wonder if it's like a... Like a Mesa? No, I was thinking like a, like Jar Jar Binks. Mesa uh, Likes. Mesa Likes? Yeah. Maybe it's Mies Sal Ikes. Oh, yeah. Their name is Sal Ikes. It's Sal Ikes. Uh, that's me. Sal yeah. Ikes. Sal Ikes. All right, Sal. Sal says, when a monster becomes blinded, what kinds of cues do you take for granted, and what can players do to thwart that? My understanding is that blinding still allows melee attacks at disadvantage, but they need to guess where the target is if there are no non-visual clues. How much leeway do you give your combatants? Do they hear the shuffle of footsteps as opponents reposition? Can they feel the rushing wind as someone flies away? 
Is the din of battle too much for them to lock onto their quarry with ears alone? Can some monsters smell their prey while others rely on their allies for instruction? Have your players tried to confuse the blinded? Do they need to use the hide action to obfuscate their position? Does a bag over their head also reveal where the bag came from after they let go, or do they stab into the air where they used to be? I want to hear your experience of what worked and what didn't, and everything in between. Yeah. Man, I'm, you're, you're There's a lot of lovely language. I know. You have some really wonderful uh, terminology here that makes me feel dumb in a good way. <laughs> dumb in a good way. Yeah, like I'm in awe yeah. of your use of obfuscate. I know. Misa like this. <laughs> this. <laughs> this, this language is... <laughs> <laughs> I got her started. That's terrible. Oh, no, that's so good. Why isn't your name so much grander? <laughs> um, some some great questions in here. There is a real skill in making bad guys in uh, role playing games interesting. And I think one of the aspects of that is to give them uh, an understanding of depth that you may give a player character in the same way. And a part of that is exactly questions like this, where the this enemy is blinded, but there's very little often in the stat block that specifies how a character, you know, a, a monster will react when blinded or deafened. Uh, or any any kind of like a more obscure status effects, you know. There's nothing in there that says like here's how they react if they're poisoned or something. Um, and being able to add those extra pieces make the combat always feel much more dynamic and responsive to the player's actions. When the players blind a monster, they are looking for a tactical advantage maybe, but they're also really offering to you as the game master to change the dynamic of this battle. Absolutely. Because because they don't want no no one wants including your players. They don't want I blinded the monster, now the battle is over because the monster is blind and therefore can't do anything. Um and they don't necessarily want the monster to become useless. It's way more interesting if now that the monster is blind, they're at a disadvantage but now they have to use other senses. They have to use other things to help them survive in this battle against players who probably want to kill it. Um, and so having stuff like the the players can use sounds to distract the monster, I think, is totally a worthwhile thing. In general, I wouldn't always make all of those things like a hide check or, or something along those lines. I would probably play that by ear based on the, the level of difficulty or the level of complexity of the action that they were taking. Um, but I would also totally encourage that that is a great way to, to try to confuse the monster or try to get the monster to, to attack in a different direction or, or, or that kind of thing. I also think that you can play up if a character has uh, metal armor versus cloth armor, like the monster is going to go after the metal armor because they're clanging around more. Like you think of how many different things sights and sounds you might smell and, and hear on the battlefield. It's going to be loud and confusing and, and whatnot. And you can totally play that up to your advantage. And I think 
like rules as written, they like get disadvantaged on attacks or something like that. But you're right that that's not dynamic. That's boring. Um, you have the opportunity here to role play to get into the action a little bit more. Yeah, change it up. And and I might still you know I might still hold to some of the rules as written for this. They need to be able to identify what square you're in. Um, disadvantage on attacks probably makes a lot of sense. Although if the monster was particularly large. I might ignore the disadvantage on attacks given the idea that they can that their their fist or their claw is big enough to cover the entire area in which you are standing. Yeah. Uh, and therefore there is no disadvantage if they know which square you're you're, yeah. you're on. Or um suddenly you just made it mad and now it's um charging down the cavern that you're in. Right. So it, it doesn't have disadvantage on attacks to charge in a straight line toward where it thinks you are. Now it might not know where you are and that might be where where you know, uh, making sounds in other directions so that they isn't charging at you plays a really great role. Um, additionally, I love the idea that the monster can still smell you, mm-hmm. um, and the idea that the monster doesn't give up. Uh, you know, this is this is a monster looking for food, and it might be blinded, but it still it still smells that food around somewhere, or or it's still like attacking you it had you know whatever reason it had for attacking you before that's still there well now it's more self defense maybe like yeah um uh there's actually some great cues that you can take from this uh i love the game the monster hunter games um and blinding monsters is a part of the game you can do these flash bombs that blind monsters and for like flying monsters it knocks them out of the air and they they crash down to the ground cuz they can't fly around if they're blind um, but also, uh, once they're blind, they're not helpless. They will spin around a lot, hitting things with their tail. Um, yeah, they're going to try to bat you away. Right. And so they do, they do like, um, uh, attacks that are, that cover, cover large areas now that they're blind because that's, that is, you know, easier for yeah. them to try to hit something. So that also can be like a great way to, to say like it, this is, you know, a blind sweep. So maybe that is with disadvantage, but it hits everything around them. Um, and so that those are great ways to kind of like, again, keep that spicy, keep it interesting. Right. Like it might not know where you are, but it knows that you're susceptible to the ceiling falling in and it might not be if it's that big. Oh, yeah. So it's um, going to start hitting the ceiling. It doesn't know where you are, but, you know, it breathes poisonous gas, and so it's going to point that at the floor and breathe breathe everything around it. Like, mm-hmm. like those are great ways for the monster to sort of um, react to that to that kind of experience. Misa likes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Great question, Sal. Yeah, thanks, Sal. Thanks, Sal. <laughs> um, hey, we're going to move on. Stalling. Stalling. We're going to move on to Search the Room. Bump, 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 search the room. What you gonna do when you search the room? Yeah. That was great. Search the room. I'll search the room. Hey, Adam, guess what I found in the room? What'd you find? This time I found an uncommon glamour weave. Wow, we just had that in this tiny room here? <laughs> well, it was um, disguised. Oh. As Man, a, that makes sense. As a bold. As, as a common glamour weave. As a common glamour <laughs> And then I picked it up and it was like, no, this oh, is uncommon. This is uncommon. <laughs> oh, you see the stitching on the side oh, over here? That's how, uncommon. How how rare. <laughs> no, not rare. Oh, sorry. Uh. <laughs> uncommon. How uncommon. It's a wondrous item. Uncommon. Uh, glamour weave is clothing imbued with harmless illusory magic. Specifically harmless. 
While wearing the common version of these clothes, you can use a bonus action to create a moving, illusory pattern within the cloth. Uncommon glamour weave can have the pattern rise from the cloth. For example, a glamour weave gown might be wreathed in harmless, illusory flames, while a glamour weave hat might have illusory butterflies fluttering around it. Mm. When you make a charisma or performance or charisma persuasion check while wearing the uncommon version of glamour weave, you can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to the check. Once you use this property, it can't be used again until the next dawn. Mm. Because you can only really be persuasive with this gown once, once a day. <laughs> and they're like, well, I've seen it before. <laughs> Listen, I'm not impressed by your fancy fancy fire gown. <laughs> so uh, reading about this item made me think of um, my Animal Crossing game, Animal oh, Crossing okay. New Horizons. Sure. There's a thing you can do that's more recent is you can polish one of your furniture items <laughs> and you can make it like sparkle. But you can actually apply a different sticker. So instead of a sparkle, you can make it a little picture. And so people have been doing butterflies. So like they polish their flowers and then suddenly it looks like there's butterflies floating around them. That's fun. I know. People are really smart. And then fire is a good one too. That someone made their house look like the this is fine dog with all the flames. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly what I thought of. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's super fun. What a what a cool uh, largely harmless. Um, well, it's it's specifically imbued thing. with harmless. Specif- magic. Specifically imbued. Um, like, could you use it to harm something in some way? Well, I mean, if you're being so damn charismatic, could you make it flash brightly and temporarily blind someone? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I would probably rule that you cannot. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Adam. Are you implying that you want to go flash people? Yeah, with, with my your clothing, with my with my gown and or trench coat. <laughs> Did we say we could make this one an adults only? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Now. I don't know where the line is. We haven't sworn yet. Yeah. Sworn. Yeah. Sweared. Sweared. <laughs> Do some sw- swearingness. Um, I, I, I would be tempted to like have. Uh, like just T-shirts that say stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm with stupid or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> it'd be great. It'd be great. You could have an I'm with stupid shirt where the arrow keeps moving around to like your one friend that you're trying to make. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be really funny. Unhappy, that'd be really fun. They would constantly stand behind you, so the arrow points at themselves. Uh huh. That's yeah. how you do it. What if you needed to find? A, you couldn't remember the map. And you like made your shirt be the map, and you could be like, "Look, <laughs> we're like, here. Your shirt. We're over here." And then like, do 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 do. There it goes. Yeah, I, I guess the question is, I I assume that the uncommon glamour weave can't display something that you don't know or don't are are incapable of of sort of initiating. Mm. So I'd probably allow the map thing to say like, "You saw the map, and then you made it on your shirt." But if you try to recreate a map from memory. I would assume that it would create whatever you remember, which which might not be accurate. Um, the same way that if you were trying to go like, I make the uncommon glamour weave show us the text of the letter that we can't read over there. Like, right. no, I'm, it translates for me. No, it doesn't. No, no it doesn't. It doesn't do that. Uh, but it, you could. It translates it, whatever you think it says. You could make it be a giant Price is Right wheel. That's true. Like tick tick tick. Yeah, and then you could spin it. As long as you know all the all the solutions on the Price is Right. Well, you get to make your own. Yeah. Uh, you could just make it like a big, it's just emoticons. So it's just like big frowny face every time. Oh, you, <laughs> you know, um, when 
people were making masks that had like displays. Oh yeah, like, like a talking mouth. Yeah, so it looked like they were Electronic talking. Display. You could do that where you're wearing a a mask over your face or whatever, and it looks like you're talking. Yeah, you could get you could do it like a uh, like a uh, dead mouse. Uh, the 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 artist the techno oh, artist oh thank you I was like uh, you just want a dead mouse on uh, your shirt uh, like the big helmet um, because you can project stuff away from you so you could have your hat just look like a big sort of helmet and then you could make it look like whatever emoji you wanted it to. that's pretty good yeah it was very techno forward <laughs> you know what the possibilities are endless they are, they are they really are endless I think you could do a lot of fun stuff with this and I would allow a lot. Yeah, I'd pretty much let you get away with with a lot of stuff, especially if you weren't using it from like combat advantage. Uh, I would allow a pretty tremendous number of things. Now, here's an interesting question: Would you allow somebody with something like this to allow it to disguise themselves as somebody else? Well, right now it says if you make a charisma check, you can get an extra d4. It doesn't say anything about bonuses or stealth or anything like that nature. My understanding is that based on the wording of this, it seems like it still has to look like clothes. So you can't make it like look like you're the tree you're standing next to to blend into your environment necessarily. Although you could make it look like um Well, I mean like it could be like, like camouflage, camo. yeah, like camo clothes. Like I'm wearing a t-shirt, but it actually looks like the bark of the skin, the bark of the tree I'm That's standing. True. Um but it does say you can project outward from the from the cloth. So could you use it to like cover your face and hands to make them look like bark? Actually, I might allow yeah, that. Yeah. I probably allow that uh-huh. now that I I'm mean, thinking you, about it. I mean, you'd have them roll. So I guess you could use it to look like somebody else, but I would make it a hard roll with the understanding that you have to like move every aspect of this to look like that person talking or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you could say that it that it has a natural glow to it, so it's pretty obvious it's an illusion. Mm, but. Maybe. Or or I might just say, or I, I like your idea of just, nah, I'm going to roll it into the check. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of like you're on a carriage cart or something and you're being you're being chased and you pull over. It's it's very, it's this is from... Um, in Tommy Boy, when they're getting chased by the cops, and he pulls over, and then he starts acting crazy, and he starts going, bees, bees, oh, yeah, they're yeah. everywhere. But in my head, it's a carriage ride, and you and you pull over, <laughs> and, and then you and use then you your illusory. illusion of bees. Yeah, and you're, ah! yeah, That'd be pretty fun, actually. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, endless, endless uh, opportunities for this. So I guess I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I would allow quite a bit to, <laughs> to get away with, and some of it might require like a – you know, a charisma performance role or persuasion role or something, but um, but I would still allow you know the possibility that you could you could do quite a lot with it. It just can't straight up do damage on its own. Yeah, and it's fun. Why not? Yeah, that's that's the ultimate rule. The rule of fun. That's the real rule. That's rule what we're doing. Of fun. I like it. Yeah. Hey, this was fun. This was, hey, look, rule of fun, podcast. (laughs) Rule of podcast. Rule of podcast. Listen to our podcast. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, listening to our podcast, the rule of fun. The rule of the podcast is you must listen and you must tell one person and you must give us five stars. (laughs) On your podcast rating app. podcast rating app. There you go. That's the rule of podcast. Aha, we got you. Ah, (laughs) we weren't going to say it and then we did. And then we did. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to submit your own question for us to completely butcher, go onto our website, nextsessionpodcast.com. 
You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. And on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. So I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. Goodbye. Goodbye.